0: Good morning. Uh, the last three weeks we covered owning the vision. And we started with the Great Commission about making disciples. That's our mission, the purpose why we are here. And as we make disciples, we are to do so by living beyond ourselves, specifically by being a people who live by faith. And known by love, the love we have for God and the love we have for each other. And thirdly, being dependent upon God for everything we need. Obviously, we're dependent upon God for everything, but seeking his wisdom and depending upon him to carry out this mission to which he's called. He doesn't equip the called. Excuse me, I got that backwards. He does not call the equipped, he equips the called. And this passage this morning should serve as motivation and encouragement to take seriously the Great Commission of making disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching everything that He has commanded us. And we look at this passage. And it was clear to me that Satan has persuaded people for centuries that there is no final accounting before God. There's no future punishment, if you will, for anyone. There's no inventory of one's life, no accounting for it. However, the scriptures say otherwise. So as we begin this morning, I want to ask you a a question. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the word of God, God himself, the voice of truth? Or are you going to listen to Satan, who is the father of lies? Because your eternal destiny hangs in the balance. Our text this morning describes the final events of human history. God is putting the last period on the last sentence of the last paragraph of the last page. This is the final judgment of those who die lost. They never confessed or repented. They never received the free gift. The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is extremely serious matter. and We must give it our full attention. I want you to know this is not easy for me to preach about this awesome and future judgment. I take absolutely no pleasure whatsoever in thinking about anyone being thrown into the lake of fire for all eternity. But more than that, God takes no pleasure in it either. That's the reason he sent his son So no one would have to go. Because after all, God never made hell for people. It was created for the devil and his angels. Remember back in Matthew chapter 25, we read that. People who end up in hell are those who reject God's way of escape. They said no to God's pro-offer of salvation. And as Brother Roger pointed out, there is nothing you do to earn it. It is a free gift of grace. And they said no. So hell is the only alternative. We can't remain neutral because to remain neutral is to reject Christ. Either you turn to Christ and His finished work on the cross for your sins, or you will pay for your sins yourself. See, sin has to be dealt with. As Romans chapter 6 verse 23 states, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm so glad that verse is not stopped with, for the wages of sin is death. Thank God that we have a free gift that he gives us, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, all the lost will be judged, their verdict will be final, and there will be absolutely no appeals. Look in verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it. That word great speaks of power. The one standing before this throne will be overcome with an incredible sense of power, awe, and fear. Some go around today talking about when I see God face to face, I'm going to tell him this or I'm going to tell him that. I don't think that's going to happen because when they stand before Almighty God, they will not be able to do anything but weep and tremble. When we stand before God, we will be utterly speechless as we stand in the presence of the Almighty living God. As Hebrews 10.31 describes God, It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And then Hebrews 12, 29, For our God is a consuming fire. Got tongue-tied, I'm sorry. Here's the point. We talk about the mercy and love of grace of God, and so shall we always talk about that. But there's another side of God. We have brought God down to be no more than a grandfather figure who sits in the corner somewhere, gives us candy, passes us on our head and says it's okay. But God, He is a consuming fire. He's something to be feared. and We've lost that. The fear of God. So the word great speaks of power. That word white speaks of purity. The unapproachable purity of Christ. Many today try to justify themselves by saying, I am a good person. Someone approached Jesus and said, good teacher, Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's only one good, that's God the Father. But I've done this many times before, let's let's do it again. Are we good people? Let's take a little quiz to find out. Have you ever told a lie? Raise your hand. One of the Ten Commandments, you shall not bear false witness. Have you ever taken anything without somebody's permission, no matter how small or how big? Have you ever done that? That's stealing. Have you ever taken God's holy name and turned it into a profane cuss word when someone cut you off in traffic? Never take the Lord's God name in vain. Now, by your own admission, you're a lying, thieving, blasphemer at heart. And if you stand before God that day, in that condition, will we be found innocent or guilty? And if you are guilty, where do you go, heaven or hell? My point being that none of us can ever be good enough. The only way we can stand before God is to be washed in the blood of Christ. As we read in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Pointing to the fact that we need Christ. The very fact that we can pray, and approach God, and be in His presence is because of the blood of Christ. So you have Power, coming from the word great, white, speaking of purity, and finally the word throne speaks of authority. God alone is sovereign. He is in charge. Now many will take God's name, as we just talked about, and drag it through the mud. Some of them even make fun of his followers, perhaps Someone has made some remarks about you as being a believer or disciple of Christ, a Bible thumper or narrow-minded thinker or whatever it is they're using. I can't repeat other stuff because it's not proper from the pulpit to repeat such profanity. But you're familiar with that. But on this day, it is God who sits upon the throne. God, the powerful, pure, sovereign creator, that allowed them to draw every breath that they took. The Savior who died in their place, the Spirit that convicted their hearts, urging them to repent and be saved. See, he allows them to have free will. God, dare I use the word, respects you enough to give you a free will. It's your decision and your decision alone. Either you follow or you don't. But on this day, God will be recognized for who he really is. We read in the New Testament that on that day, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So either we humbly do that now, or we'll do it in the future. Either way, it's going to happen. But he gives us free will. God is omniscient omnipotent, and omnipresent. That word omni comes from a Latin root word that means all, every, the whole, or of every kind. So God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. You know, when I wrote papers for seminary, I had to do research. I had to go to the library and spend hours looking upon material, upon material, because I had to tell a professor, I, I got this knowledge from somewhere I'm not making it up because I'm not all-knowing. I had to gain that knowledge God doesn't have to do that he knows you better than you know yourself after all he created you he forms you in your mother's womb knitting you together he has perfect complete knowledge he's omnipotent unlimited power there is nothing God cannot do Word of caution, just because God hasn't done anything yet, the second coming, make no mistake about it, he is coming. Sin will be dealt with. Satan will be dealt with. Just because he hasn't acted yet doesn't mean he's unable to or won't do anything. Yes, he will. Don't mistake his long-suffering patience for thinking that he doesn't care or cannot do anything about it. And he's omnipresent. That means he's present everywhere at all times. And that takes me to the rest of verse 11. Look down at that prepositional phrase, from whose presence, literally face, earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. There's no place to run. No place to hide. He's omnipresent. Go back to Genesis in the beginning. There's Adam and Eve. Put in the garden everything they could eat from except from one tree. You know the story? And when they ate of the the fruit, the tree of good, the knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were open and they sought shelter. They tried to hide from God. Now God goes, Adam, where are you? Now God knows where they were. It wasn't a cosmic hide and seek. But Adam and Eve tried to hide from them, but they couldn't do it. How about Jonah? Ever heard of a guy named Jonah? He thought he could outrun God. He went down, got on the boat, <laughs> thought he could get down and go away and just run. Well, guess what? That didn't happen, did it? Storm came up. They threw him overboard. He spent three days in the belly of a great fish. We say, "Well, we don't know." Scripture tells us a great fish. And don't you know? In that three days time period, the horrible smell and the conditions he was in, he started to rethinking. Hey, maybe I can't outrun God. And the Bible's full of people who try to run or hide from God. But on this day, specifically on this day, there is nowhere to run. There is nowhere to hide. And every excuse that's ever been uttered from anybody's lips will be totally wiped away. There'll be no excuse, every excuse will be stripped away. And they'll have to answer. Look, he says in verse 12, he describes it further. He says, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. All these social divisions that we have racial divisions, ethnic divisions, socioeconomic divisions everybody will be standing there from the CEO to the lowest employee. From the chancellor of the university and the professors to the most uneducated person. From the kings to the homeless. They will stand before the great right throne that day. And the only thing they have in common is that they died lost outside of Christ. Look back in verse 12. The basis of their judgment is twofold. First, the books or scrolls are opened. And they are judged by what was recorded in those books. Their deeds are works. In verse 12, another book was opened, which is the book of life. To be found in the book of life affirms that every sin recorded in one of those books that you committed has been forgiven. It guarantees life on the basis of the completed work of Christ on the cross, rather than on the basis of the deeds or works recorded in those books. Verse 13 goes on to say, The sea gave up the dead which are in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which are in them, and they were judged. Hades is the place of the dead or the abode of the dead. It's the equivalent to what we find in the Old Testament called Sheol. Now, hell in the New Testament is derived from the Greek word Gehenna. It designates a valley south of Jerusalem, a very repulsive place, that's where they burned trash and refuge. It was constantly burning. And Jesus referred to this as a symbol of the place of judgment after death. Now bear with me. Do you remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? Some say this is not a parable that Jesus was pulling back the curtain of eternity for us. What happens? Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom. The rich man goes to a place of torment. We find out that this rich man is in torment day in and day out, constantly. He cries out to have him dip his finger in some cool water to cool his tongue. And we find out there's a great gulf between these two places. There's no crossing back and forth. He pleads to let him go back and warn his brothers. They said, no, if they don't believe the prophets and the word, they won't believe you either. Many explain this as death that holds the body, Hades holds the soul, because there is a final judgment that comes. But the point I want to drive home is there is an accounting. Robert L. Thomas, in his book Revelation 8 through 22, an exegetical commentary, says this quote, Scripture makes constant reference to a register of human actions. And, quote. Everything that you've ever done, regardless if anyone else knows it or not, has been recorded. Everything. Everything you thought was done in secret or in the dark. It's been recorded. Everything. How does it make you feel right now? Think about it. What you're thinking right now was a flash on the screen. How would you feel about that? It's the kind of knowledge God has. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8 put it this way. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For every man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You're not going to pull a fast one on God, neither will I. We read in verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Finally, death, the enemy of all humanity and Hades, the place of the dead, are thrown into the lake of fire, which is described as the second death. Just as the first death is dreaded and avoided, so the second death is far more devastating experience. I went looking for descriptions of this place, sometimes referred to as hell, this place of torment, eternal punishment. It's described as outer darkness, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, Matthew chapter 22, verse 13. It's described as an unquenchable, eternal fire, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, and Mark chapter 9, verse 43. And a place of never-ending torment, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And in verse 15. Reread, if anyone's name was not found, written, or recorded in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, I know that all my actions are being recorded, but praise God for Christ because my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I've been forgiven. But if anyone's name is not written there, they never came to Christ. They are thrown into the lake of fire. And this bears testimony to what Scripture plainly teaches us. For example, Romans chapter 3, the last part of verse 12. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Romans three twenty three: for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Back in the Old Testament, we read in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? What I'm painting the picture, we desperately need a Savior. Think about this. People standing there that day were possibly counted as good people, noble people by their counterparts on earth, but their hearts were rebellious against God. You see, universally, unredeemed humanity is hostile, antitianistic, or deliberately just hate God. And this is apparent in the judgment from the books. See, unbelievers are condemned twice, once by their deed or works, and second their combination of their work holds because they chose to reject the pro-offered gift of God, which is eternal life, the result they are thrown into the lake of fire. Now, don't walk out of here thinking, I'm telling you, God is throwing him in the lake of fire. No, God has made every opportunity available to these people to come to Christ, and they rejected it. And they turned away. And because of that, they're thrown into the lake of fire. The only reason I escape, hence the title salvation, is because Jesus Christ is both my Lord and my Savior. Am I perfect? No, I am forgiven, and I follow him. Think about that. God loves humanity so much that he's doing everything he possibly can to save everybody. But he gives you free will. It has to be your choice. It has to be your choice. Now I know most of you, if not all of you in this room and listening to us online, are believers. Disciples of Christ you're saying, Tim, this doesn't really apply to me because I'm not going to be there at the great white throne judgment. Yeah, we better all jump up and say amen to that, brother. There's only one reason I won't be standing there that day. It's not because of me. It's all because of him. You got that? It's all because of him. But there's still application to be made to us. What are you doing to help keep people out of hell? I know you're concerned about people you love. What about people you don't even know? What I'm getting at is going back to our vision, making disciples. How many people have you told about the good news? That's why it's euangelion in the Greek. The good news. The bad news is we all deserve it, but the good news is God has made a way of escape. Have you told anyone about it? Have you witnessed anybody lately? Have you invited anyone to come here where the church meets? I didn't say come to church. I said come to where the church meets. Who do you wish was here to hear this message this morning? If they come here, they will hear the truth. Proclaimed through prayers, songs, and the preaching of the world. Are you thankful that your sins have been forgiven? Have you thanked the Lord lately for his perfect plan of salvation? This text, is, it is horrible, and how much we want to turn away from it. It should be our motivation, the reason we get up in the morning. Look, I know this is happening, and I know so-and-so doesn't know Christ. I must do everything I possibly can to lead them to Christ. Pray for them. When's the last time that you broke down in tears realizing the reality of the situation? Knowing that person wants to die today? they go to hell. When's the last time you shed a tear for somebody? My mama, who's gone on to be with the Lord, I know for a fact many a day she got down on her knees at her bedside before she went to bed and prayed for me. The result? Here I am lady sitting right back there, Tammy, she prayed for me to get in church. Didn't qualify that very good, did you? She told me, I don't want to be a pastor's wife. But my point being, we have to take seriously what the Bible tells us. This is eternal destiny. This This is the heart of it. This is why Christ came to die, this is what we do what we do. I've heard so many illustrations about people. I mean, why didn't you tell me about Christ? And I know that we shy away from that for many different reasons. We know what to say. We're not a good example it's not about you, it's about him. Leading people to Christ. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to think of people in your own life, members of your family, members of the community. You know, we, I'll sum up by this way, We, we, we complain about the institutions in our country, we complain about the government and all this, but what's the government made of? People. If you want things to change, people have to change. And the only person that can change the human heart is God Almighty himself. Amen. We have the answer, dear beloved. We have the answer. I've heard it compared to we had the cure for cancer. We just keep it to ourselves when we rush out and tell everybody that we found the cure. We should be rushing out and telling people we found the cure for what ails humanity. We found the answer for peace, love, and acceptance. We found it, and it's found in the person, the work of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the gift eternal life all because of your grace your love and your mercy Father I think for one moment that someone I know and love will be thrown into the lake of fire so because they don't know Christ it breaks my heart Father, take this message, this this passage of Scripture and burn it on our hearts and minds. Let that be our motivation, reason for sharing the good news. Because, Father, we acknowledge and confess we'd be in the same boat unless someone had shared the good news with us. to whom much is given much is required Father you have given us so much place us in the country where we're free to gather unprecedented freedom in the history of the world more than that you've set us free from the power of sin what sin does Father you've given us life abundant life you've granted us peace beyond all comprehension and understanding Father you've given us your spirit you've given us your word you've given of yourself so much even coming in the flesh Father continue to move among us continue to speak to our hearts Father, our prayer is may we be known as people who live by faith, who are known by love, loving people so much that refuse to sit idly by as people go off into eternity without knowing your Son as our Lord and Savior. May your will be done.